to another episode of our podcast, The Shift. I'm Shay Candish, the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association's Assistant General Secretary and the host of this show. COVID-19 has significantly affected communities, not just in Australia, but around the world. Throughout this pandemic, nurses and midwives have stepped up to the challenge and helped to provide the individual care and clinical expertise that's been required to tackle this insidious disease head on. Today, I'm talking to a wonderful young nurse, Corey Slater. This conversation is a little tricky. The audio is not great, but he was coming to us from Papua New Guinea. Uh, so you can appreciate that there are some challenges in terms of the internet that he was working off. Um, but stick with it. The conversation really is worth it. He's a young nurse who stepped up to the challenge of working towards ending COVID-19 overseas. He's currently based in PNG, as I was saying, and he's part of the international response to COVID-19 in the country. Corey was the 2020 New South Wales Health New to Practice Nurse of the Year, a recipient of the Champions of Change Award, and is a New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association member. Thanks so much for joining us today, Corey. Good morning, Shay. Thanks for having me. So lovely to have you. So look, can you start off by telling us what's it like living in Papua New Guinea? Um, it's it's interesting. It definitely is the land of the um, unexpected. Uh, no two days are the same. And that goes for not just the line of work that I'm in, but uh, daily life and stuff like that as well. It's, it is very similar to Australia, um, probably close to Cairns and Darwin, that sort of tropical. Um, but no, it's, it's a beautiful country. Um, I'm so stoked and humbled to be here and happy to be continuing to be here until the end of this year. Awesome. So talk to me about what made you go there? So through volunteering in New South Wales, as St John, New South Wales, there was a deployment um, request for assistance in March last year when the winter COVID wave was starting to come through the country here. So that deployment um, request was put out and it was put into the networks that I was volunteering within. And I thought, you know what, this is this is a great opportunity. I, I get to travel where one else can travel and I get to get to use my skills that I've learned in New South Wales, working at Prince of Wales and through my volunteering again with New South Wales St John in, in a way that will be different to all other experience and especially clinical experience that I've had. And I, I jumped at the opportunity. I thought this is my opportunity to not just learn and continue my own continuing continuing professional development but also help out where it's really it's really needed in a uh, trying time for our closest neighbors so were you it sounds just fascinating to me were you a bit a bit nervous a bit fearful about what it might be like going to work in another country at a time when they were having an outbreak you know they they obviously don't have the same level of access to vaccination and healthcare that we have here in Australia so what was your what was your initial thinking when you were going there I, I was a bit nervous at first uh, I remember living in Queensland because we from Queensland and fly from there and I remember seeing Queensland disappear into the sort of horizon thinking oh oh my god what have I done where am I going what am I doing (laughs) (laughs) Um, and and I felt like that a bit as well because we didn't actually know how it was on the ground we'd had been briefed somewhat but we didn't know what it would actually be like on the front line and I remembered working in certain environments in Prince of Wales sometimes COVID and even through the volunteering and it was quite it is an unprecedented time and to then throw myself into an unprecedented environment where I didn't know anyone, I didn't know the resource and I didn't know the country or the culture or the language. It was quite, um, it was daunting, but it was exciting at the same time. 
So take me through that first kind of couple of shifts. What were you walking into? What, what did it feel like? What did you see? So we, my first day at St. John, we were sort of briefed about the ambulance service and um, education needed to be completed in our various roles because there was a few of us who came over all sort of together. It was sort of like a mini little family. <laughs> and then uh, I remember walking into the Nightingale COVID care centre field hospital and it actually didn't have patients at this point because the surge had started to decrease by the time we got here in early June. So, but even seeing the facility in itself with all of the beds in the aquatic centre, the capabilities that they had, for example, um, x-ray machines and basic uh, blood testing equipment and stuff like that, the, the tents that they had for resuscitation and the nurses station and the, the technology that had been put into this field hospital was, uh, it was crazy to see really. It was sort of like an something out of a movie like Armageddon or something like that. <laughs> And so I'm assuming you kind of got in there pretty quickly and got your hands dirty and got a sense of how you work in a field hospital. Talk me through how it's different than what we're all used to here in Australia, working in, you know, a modern emergency department or a ward setting. I would say um, the resources, not only in the hospital, but outside of the hospital are quite varied and different, such as transport and, for example, road options, especially from an ambulance point of view, getting to certain patients, getting certain patients out, and then within the hospital, again, getting intra-hospital transfers and all of that is, is not is something we take for granted, I believe, in, in New South Wales especially I used to when I was working there and now I it's there's a lot more logistics planning that needs to go into just basic sort of things their care is obviously different as well in some aspects there's not sort of a hospital that specializes in coronary interventions and things like that it's sort of a, a general broad approach although the level of dedication and foster care is similar due to the hard-working persistence and again quick thinking individuals who are health workers in Papua New Guinea. And that's that's one thing I did notice from my first day on the ground that the the perseverance that you see, especially in the field hospital, we had oxygen cylinders because we didn't have an integrated oxygen system. So they needed to be changed constantly. And you see these little nurses that I remember there was a nurse in particular, she was four, about around four foot and she would pick up these massive cylinders and move them without blinking an eye. It was just something she knew she had to do and she would do it there yeah. was no complaining there was no there was nothing like that which was um yeah it was very humbling and impressive to say the least so in terms of the care that you're providing is it predominantly people that are coming through with COVID-19 symptoms these days is that is that mostly the response that you're involved in uh, so mostly at the moment, we've I've actually moved into more of an education role with the ambulance service, including COVID-19 prevention um, and infection control procedures and stuff like that. But predominantly when we were running the field hospital, we were seeing anything from neonates, paediatrics, geriatrics, uh, high dependency patients, everything in between. It was um, it was a mix, especially with Delta when it came through the country in September. It was um, it was quite devastating. So the field hospital was open, obviously, before I came for around three months. And in that three month period, they saw less severe patients and number of patients than we did in 10 days of opening the field hospital in September. So it was a, um, a very trying time. It definitely lived up to the name of 
or the statement of the land of the unexpected. It was mm. challenging, but it was rewarding. It was, um, yeah, it was a very different experience. I can only imagine, to be honest, um, and I'm very grateful that people like you have gone and done a lot of that work because, you know, countries like that must really benefit from all of the volunteers that have gone over. Um, were there moments where, you know, you held your breath thinking, how is this all going to go? Not quite sure what the outcome is going to be like here. Uh, especially, uh, exactly, especially right with, I was the St John representative at times going to the Moresby General Hospital COVID committee meetings. So we would meet and Ozmat was there as well. And when Ozmat left, it was still Delta was still sort of ripe in the country. And there'd be times where you just see the, the vaccination rate, you'd see the infection rate, and you'd see the severity of what we were seeing, not just in the field hospital, but the overflow of the main hospital. And you would sit back and go, this, this could end badly. Um, especially because the vaccination rates are currently sitting at around three or four percent for the whole population. Um, mm. Health workers have increased quite a bit over time, but it's a it's a hard thing. It's it's not just getting vaccines to people; it's getting people to vaccines, which comes back to the transport and logistics stuff I was reflecting mm. on earlier. So it is. There was times where I was like, "This is this is going to be interesting to see how it plays out." Yeah, look, I know one of our um, local branches here in New South Wales had put forward a resolution at our committee of delegates around lobbying the government to assist further with vaccines, into, particularly into countries like Papua New Guinea, um, because of exactly some of the challenges that you've spoken about there. Uh, what in your mind do you think needs to be done or can, be, can, can assist in uh, helping with vaccination in countries like Papua New Guinea? I think just keep the accessibility of it as much as possible. I think there's there's a few organisations, including St John, which are making it accessible. We have open days where people can come in, get vaccinated, for example, the staff, but they can also bring their one talk, so their family, their friends, and they can and they can promote that among their own families to get vaccinated. At the shopping centre, there's a sort of vaccination set up hub where people can go and get vaccinated as well. So I think just having that accessibility, there's also organisations that go out into certain villages and uh, provinces where it is difficult and they will go around and vaccinate the villages and everyone else to do that education around it because there is a lot of mistrust and misunderstanding, I think, about the vaccines. That There's not as much health educational promotion as, for example, New South Wales, and I think that is a big big issue as well as all the transport and logistics on top. So it's, it seems sometimes you think everything's against you with trying to promote certain things and complete certain projects like this, but it is, it's a slow but sure um, way of doing it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I understand that you've moved into a leadership role now in the uh, Florence Nightingale Centre. Can you talk to us a bit about what that involves? Sure. So basically, as it was starting to kick off, um, I moved from, because I originally came here as a clinical nurse specialist and clinical nurse educator for COVID-19 and uh, acute care and the sort of pre-hospital environment interventions we were doing with the ambulance service. When it sort of started to change, so the pandemic again started to kick off in September, we moved into different roles to do with COVID-19. So I'm from the CNS, CNE position, 
more to a assistant and then acting director of nursing within the Nightingale Centre. Uh, so basically it was a big jump and a big step for me um, personally and professionally. Um, but within that role, I did try to make the most of what we were doing. And within the Florence Nightingale Centre, I did focus, even though it was a field hospital, on not just caring for patients in a biomedical model, but more of a psychosocial model and implementing that holistic sort of patient-centred care. So we set up a library, we set up a small garden, we set up a health promotion sort of and mindfulness room um, called Kai Kai Belong Ting Ting, which means food for thought in Tokpisan. And we also started um, different movements as well. So as Delta was getting more and more uh, intense and severe and infectious, seeing a lot of staff becoming unwell and we were sort of running out of staff every shift. Another issue was that we were seeing, we couldn't allow guardians or family members inside the Nightingale COVID care centre because we didn't want that cross-contamination infection. In Papua New Guinea and other Pacific Island islands, they do nurses complete activities of daily living for the patients and provide patient care, but it is more, the onus falls more on guardians. So when we didn't have those guardians, the nurses were overwhelmed and it was a big culture shock for them. So what we started to actually do was involve AIN, so assisted nurses, assistant in nursing, sorry. So that wasn't really a thing in Papua New Guinea before we started utilising that within the field hospital. So we started approaching universities, we started approaching them on placement and certain things like that and providing this sort of program to allow that. With that came other students wanting to help out as well. So we started the allied health department within the field hospital. We had physiotherapy students, social work students, um, and they would work under strict supervision, obviously, of fully qualified allied health professionals. But it just gave us that extra extra helping hand and that extra, again, holistic patient-centered care. And just instead of just focusing on here's your oxygen, here's your medications and get better, it's more of how can we improve the overall situation for user, utilizing this field hospitals to get something positive out of it. That's really interesting. Yeah. This also led to an increase in new graduates being hired by um organization to try and keep the nurses as much as possible on each shift so keeping our numbers up and this led to myself thinking looking into the new graduate programs within the country and finding that there, there wasn't really anything there so myself and a few others looked at creating uh, and implementing a national new graduate program to give structure capacity and basically competency to how um, new graduates go through their year, they go through assessments, they have structure, they go through frameworks like the clinical reasoning cycle, the Gibbs reflective cycle that I have these things to fall back on, which I know as a new grad myself was very, very important for me to get through that, that first year. So now it's actually looking towards becoming the national new graduate program to gain registration within Papua New Guinea. And that's a, a big part of, of getting ticked off as seeing, um, being confident and moving on to becoming an independent nurse. That's awesome. Uh, you must be really proud that you've been able to have such an impact in such a short amount of time. Yeah, no, I am. I, I sit back sometimes and I think, well, I have, I have achieved quite a lot in my um, eight months here. <laughs> yeah. 
Definitely. Look, that feels like a very natural segue um, into some of your work as a new grad. Can you talk me through some of um, your experiences of working as a new grad and the passion that you obviously have about um, developing support programs for new grad nurses? Yeah, so basically I started my, I suppose, nursing career as an AIN at Prince of Wales. Um, so I worked through there, completed uni and then Lucky enough, I got my new graduate at Prince of Wales as well, so I was quite happy about that. And I got uh, placed into, for my first rotation, acute aged care. So as a new graduate, I could see there was, I suppose, deficits in the way of handover and the standardisation of handover and how it was being completed, what, it was, what resources were being used for it to be completed as well. So I started the initiative called the Safe Clinical Handover Project. Uh, basically, this was around standardising handover documentation, um, handover forms, um, and sort of handover sheets that can be used at handover and then by nurses during their shift as well, because these weren't sort of being updated before. If they were, there was no standardisation around how they were being updated. So we got data pre and post the three-month project, and basically what we saw was a 30% reduction in pressure injuries falls and issues um, with or adverse events with uh, peripheral intravenous cannulas as well. Obviously, there was other interventions, improved communication and stuff like that around it. But the main sort of intervention that we utilised was the standardisation of handover and, and really making it a safe clinical handover. And that was that was in my rotation. And then within my second rotation, I was placed into the COVID ward. Uh, at Prince of Wales, which was also medical, surgical, and then rehab eventually. So I think it did set me up uh, quite well to be able to do almost anything in nursing, <laughs> covering all those fields. Um, but yeah, it was it was a great opportunity. I was very humbled by not just being able to do the experience and complete the project, but having the support around me to even as a new graduate to succeed and, and do something as big as that and cause um, or reach unprecedented change within those environments. It's incredible. And you obviously were um, well recognised for that really hard work because you were awarded the 2020 Champions of Change Award and also the 2020 New to Practice Nurse of the Year Award, weren't you? So that must have been a pretty exciting moment for you. Oh, yeah, it was. Uh, I'll never forget when we are all in the, at, I was in the sort of auditorium waiting for the, the call out and they said my name and showed the video on the screen because it was all virtual because of um, COVID sort of starting at that point. And I, I was just stoked. I was so, it didn't feel real, to be honest. <laughs> mm, I can imagine. So tell me, Corey, what's next? Because I can only imagine it's bigger and better. Yeah. Um, so we're still working on certain things over here. So all the training that we're completing and have completed is is. Moving even more, we've got two new ambulance educators um, for the country here because it's the statutory ambulance service that I am working with here. So we're building building capacity um, with that. So and then with the training that we've got planned, we've got a few more courses that we want to roll out. Basically, the strategic vision for education for the National Ambulance Service here is to train at least another 70 ambulance officers this year and expand St John Ambulance Papua New Guinea's footprint into more districts within Papua New Guinea. We've planned five new stations in new locations planned for 2022. So hopefully COVID keeps away for a little bit so we can achieve all of this, this great stuff. 
Um, but if it does happen again with another wave, I'm more than happy to help out like last time. I'm not going anywhere just yet. That's awesome. And what about for you personally? What's what's in your future? What kind of nursing are you keen to go and tackle next? Uh, so I suppose I'm quite interested in the international nursing side of things, especially after being here. I'm nearly completing my master's in acute care. So that's sort of my specialty and what I enjoy the most. But I suppose it's it's hard because I've had so many different opportunities and I've changed what I've wanted to do quite a few times. So I guess just taking it um, day by day and, and see seeing where I lead myself with with more opportunities popping up daily. Um, I suppose the leadership role would be nice eventually uh, when I come home. But yeah, I guess just seeing how where it takes me. Well, that sounds awesome. Um, I'm a little jealous sitting here in my home in New South Wales, knowing that I can't travel really uh, freely. <laughs> but one day, no doubt that will happen. Um, and look, I just think you're a really impressive young guy. And I think, you know, it's really exciting to have people that are so passionate in the profession. So thank you for all that you do. Thank you so much. Can you tell me what would be uh, any advice that you've got to new nurses or midwives that are entering the profession? I would say do not let any opportunities pass you, uh, but also don't work yourself completely into the ground. You need to work hard, but you obviously need to be smart about it as well. Uh, don't try to learn everything and change the world overnight. I mean, Rome wasn't built in a day and neither will your amazing career that is ahead of you. I, I guess one of the main things I would like to say is take opportunities such as volunteering. I know that volunteering for St. John New South Wales really has changed the career trajectory of myself personally um, and professionally, but it has taught me values that I use in my daily life as well. It's given me a wealth of experience even before starting nursing because I was volunteering a year before I started my undergrad and even going into my undergrad in my first year, I'd already been in a way treating patients in a first aid sense, but building those very basic foundational techniques such as communication, such as teamwork, all of those things that are important. And especially going into your new graduate year, you'll get experience within the hospital, within whatever uh, specialty you're wanting to go into. But volunteering just allows you to do that little bit more. You can get involved in projects such as I got involved in the COVID-19 review project of all the hotels with New South Wales Health. And that allowed me to get those project skills and that leadership skills, which then I've utilised extensively over here in Papua New Guinea. And I could draw upon that. If I didn't volunteer, I would never have had those opportunities and hence those skills um, and experiences to draw on. So I guess, yeah, take one day at a time, look for projects you can get involved with and build your skills as much as possible in areas that interest you, but don't neglect your weaknesses as well. I think with volunteering, particularly with St. John New South Wales, in a clinical sense, you can really build on those weaknesses and turn them into strengths. And I guess most of all, remember why you became a nurse. It will be harder on your bad days and easier on your good days. That's really great advice. And I think it's really relevant, particularly at the moment, given um, certainly nurses and midwives here in New South Wales are working under under. Pre uh, unprecedented pressures, you know, given the short staffing and we've just gone through this most recent Omicron wave, which has uh, pushed our system to, to places it's never been before. So I think that's really valuable information. That's exactly right, Shane. 
Well, good luck. Please stay safe. Truly, I think you're going to be such an impressive kind of contribution to the profession. So I'm really um, grateful for all of the volunteer work that you're doing and the fact that there are people that are so incredibly passionate like you out there. It's really wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll be right back after a quick word from the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association's Continuing Professional Education Scheme. Did you know that the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association members can access over 60 CPD courses for free? Just log on to Member Central on the association website to find out more. That's nswnma.asn.au. And if you're not yet a member, join today and get access to these courses straight away. That's it for this episode of The Shift with Shay. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Corey and I look forward to seeing you in a fortnight with more stories from the world of nursing and midwifery. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also follow the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn and you can stay up to date with our services and campaigns. This podcast was recorded on Indigenous land. We acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening to this podcast. This land was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land.